Welcome to the Your K-12 Fundraising Coach Podcast, your weekly mini masterclass designed to give you the tools to crush your goals with less stress. I'm your host, Kim Jennings, a veteran faith-based school frontline fundraiser and certified fundraising executive, a consultant, trainer, coach, and passionate ally for leaders and future leaders serving in Christian schools across the U.S. After nearly two decades in the industry, I'm here to share with you what I've learned and continue to learn from my failures and successes and to bring you insightful conversations with great leaders. If you're a Christian school leader looking for tested strategies to banish the tyranny of the urgent and raise more money within a stronger, thriving team, and you're looking to grow your school's culture of generosity, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Your K-12 Fundraising Coach Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. My show today brings you a conversation that I had with a leader whom I greatly admire and someone that I've really enjoyed getting to know over the last nine or 10 months. And that person is Julie Ambler. She is the head of school at the Woodlands Christian Academy, where she's been the head there since 2006. The Woodlands Christian Academy is a national leader in Christ-centered college preparatory education. They serve students grades pre-K-4 through grade 12. Before Julie was the head of school, she also served on their executive board for four years. She currently serves as the chairman of the board for CESA, the Council of Educational Standards and Accountability. She's also the chairman of the board for Summit Ministries and the Woodlands Area Chamber of Commerce. She's also served as the past chairman of the board and former board member for several other well-known organizations. In this episode, she shares more about her background in banking and finance before God brought her to the Woodlands Christian Academy, and that happened at a very critical juncture for this very special school that's located just outside of Houston, Texas. About five years ago, Julie introduced a year-long class to train her school's emerging leaders on the school's history and culture and operations. She calls it the Warrior Way, celebrating culture and leadership. And in my estimation, it is truly a tribute to the importance of mentors and the success that comes when we as leaders are intentional about leadership development. And so for this conversation, Julie and I talked about leadership and culture, their intersection with fundraising. We talked about codifying and reinforcing culture the benefits of all of that to her school overall, including in fundraising. We also talked about the role of the head of school in culture setting and fundraising, which turned out to be an echo of some of the things that Mark Dillon was talking about when I had a conversation with him for my podcast in episode five. Julie and I also talk about the importance of mentors, and she gives some great ideas about how to position yourself as a potential mentee. Stay tuned for after the conversation, because at that point, I will go over practical application about something that she shares in the conversation that I think you're going to find extremely helpful in your work as a development officer. So let's not wait any longer. Here's my conversation with the current chair of CESA and the current head of school at the Woodlands Christian Academy, Julie Ambler. Julie, thank you so much for joining me today. My listeners, I know, are going to be so pleased to have some time with you. And so I appreciate you spending some time with me. Thank you very much for joining us to talk about 
your leadership program and codifying culture at your school, the Woodlands Christian Academy. Um, Why don't we start, Julie, by sharing a little bit about how you got where you are and a little bit about the program you're going to be talking about today. Thank you, Kim. And thank you for the invitation to be with you today. I'm very honored to be here. And I am head of school, the Woodlands Christian Academy by accident. I uh, grew up in private school, but I was an investment banker in real estate for the first 17 years of my career. God called me out to serve him in the community. And so I thought I had retired One of the things that I did was to serve on the board of the Woodlands Christian Academy where my children were at school. It was a very young school at the time. I served on the board for four years, chaired it for two years, rolled off the board. And then the board reached out to me later to let me know that the school was struggling financially. And with my financial background, they asked if I would step in on an interim basis for six to nine months to figure out what was wrong with our finances and to prepare the school to actually go seek out a real head of school. So I stepped into the role. The school really was struggling. And so it was a very difficult time. Uh, We almost closed our doors, but we survived. We made it. The first five years were tough. And now I've been in this role for 17 years as head of school. So as you can imagine, when you're broken financially, you're broken spiritually, academically, physically, socially, every possible way. And so it's been quite an adventure. So when I talk about preparing leaders in my school, can understand why it's so important for me to make sure that when I leave, the school continues to thrive without me. I always tell people when I leave, I don't want anybody to notice. I want the culture to be so strong that everybody will remain confident and things will continue to move upward. But um, one of the things that I have looked at is the need to raise up leaders within the school. I was blessed to go to a private school that's over 100 years old. And as you walk around the campus, you'll see on the name badges of employees that quite a few of them are graduates of the school. And so in thinking about that, I'm always looking to hire alumni, but I'm also looking to find employees that have the potential to be leaders in the school. And so about six years ago, I started thinking about how can I equip people to really understand the school? So I voluntold nine of my mid-tier administrators that I was going to practice on them for an entire year. And so we met every other week for 75 minutes And we had a different topic every time. We started with a DISC profile, and I covered topics ranging from a detailed history of the school to what the primary mission statements, portrait of a graduate, global end statements, vision statements, to really understand how important it is that we're a missional school and how we drive all decisions through the mission. Then I taught them about our board and how our board operates. I actually take, took the class to a board meeting so they could experience what it's like to be at a board meeting. Nice. And then I did a whole session on what the head of school does. And then who is on my senior leadership team and why. We also have a couple books that we read. So the last 20, 30 minutes of the class, we discuss our book readings. But once I finish those sessions, then I rotate through all of my key leaders on campus. So they come into the class. For example, the CFO comes and talks about his job and what he does and shares his style of leadership. 
he also comes back and teaches the class how to read a financial statement. Of course, we use our school financial statement to teach them what that looks like. So we rotate through all the principles, through development, through admissions, through marketing, through facilities, through technology, human resources, all of the key departments, so that at the end of the year, they have met all of the key people. They understand how they operate. They understand their style of leadership, and they understand how the whole school works together. One fun thing we added this year, and I should say this is the fifth year to have this class. One thing that was fun this year is we did a behind-the-scenes tour of campus because we realize most people get comfortable in their niche on campus. So we walked through closets in the back of the kitchen and the dugout and the locker rooms and all over campus to see places that people don't normally see on campus. So that was fun. But we finished the year with a graduation dinner with the senior leadership team. And after that first year, I actually invited people to apply for the class. And so they have to fill out an application why they want to be in the class, what they hope to gain from it, how they will use that. And then we have the very difficult decision of narrowing it down to nine. Nine is how many people can sit around my conference table with me. So that's why the number nine. But that first year, we had about 30 applicants for the class. We've consistently had that many applicants. So it's always a challenge to to pick out those. We want a diverse group from different divisions throughout the school. That's and amazing. it's been wonderful. What what it's done, I think, for us is it has created some it's created a group of people who totally understand how the school works. And I've been able to promote a number of people out of that class into administrative positions. I also have people from that class who felt called to do something different in the school or have started new programs in the school because they understand how everything works. But what I tell them is that our school is growing. So through this class, you have an opportunity to grow to a different position or move up in leadership if that's of interest to you. But just as importantly, you're going to go back to your corner of campus and you're going to understand how everything works together and who everything is. And that has been huge for just building culture because, you know, when when a teacher goes back to his or her group of teachers and teachers complain about whatever, that person's able to say, well, let me tell you why this it works this way. And so that's been great for that. I love this. The fact that you have around 30 people applying for it each year tells us that it's a well-run program. People want to get in to it. They see the value in it. And also they're looking to grow as leaders professionally. So I'm curious to know, that's a lot of people to whittle down to nine. Tell me a little bit more about that, if you don't mind. It's difficult, honestly. So we're, what we're looking for is people who have the potential to lead in the future. I'm obviously, when they apply, they have to get the approval of their direct report. But I'm also talking to the principals to find out who do you see in your division or the division heads that has the potential to be a leader. So, you know, hopefully everybody in our school has credentials and experience and and that's important, but we're looking for those people that are, that we see that are already going above and beyond. They're doing more than their job description. They're reaching out to others to how can I help others? How can I grow? And so that's really what we're looking for is people that want to be stretched. And we're also looking for people that have key influence. Like this year in my class, we have the director of food services. 
So if you think about that, he's probably not going to be the head of school someday or a principal. However, he touches the entire school. He feeds everybody on campus and does concessions at all the sporting events. So he's a very influential person. So for him to understand how the whole school works is terrific, even though he may not be promoted to a different position. I think one of the key aspects that I really love about your program is that you have honed in on codifying culture, but also the strategic and the organic way of spreading culture, of helping folks to understand culture. One of the key things that I talk about on the parent side with parent giving in particular is that concept of mentor parents. So the same concept of training and drawing in folks who are influencers and helping them to understand culture and understand their role in culture because people trust their peers so much. I suspect that your onboarding of new faculty members and new staff members is a little bit easier, frankly, because your message, your culture, the important pillars, your core values, all of those pieces are spread throughout your community on a daily basis because you've poured into these people. Well, and I would add something else that's important to me is that every year when our faculty comes back, we go through the history of the Woodlands Christian Academy. I would say every school has a unique story about how they were started and the challenges they had. We had so many challenges, so many ups and downs, and so many wonderful blessings. And so every year, it's tradition, I share the history with all of the faculty. So they have ownership. Because when people walk on our campuses, they just see what's there today. They don't see what got us here, and they don't see the values that brought us to where we are, and they don't see what's next and the value that's there. So I do that every year. We also have um, what we call Mission Statement Fridays. So we challenge our middle and high school students to memorize our mission statement, and the principals walk around, and on a Friday, they'll just say, hey, repeat the mission statement. If they get it right, they win a candy bar. So there are ways that we include those stories and that mission and what we do. It's obviously posted around campus. Our pillars are posted around campus. But I think when people know the history, it helps them to be to appreciate where they are and where we are today. A hundred percent. Folks are joining into your school community in the middle of a legacy. They, right. So uh, helping them to understand where they are in that legacy and where they can, the role they can play in making the future generations that, that they are part of a legacy. That's so inspiring. I love that. I want to also touch upon something you said regarding the nuts and bolts. I love that you are in the program itself. You're touching on the nuts and bolts, how to read a financial statement, what admissions is doing, all of those pieces you're leaning into the future leaders in this program, but that over the course of the years, there's that competency in the culture, in the specific operations of your school. So let me ask you this, what effect do you think that's had on the folks who have not taken your course, who haven't necessarily sat down with the CFO or sat down with admissions? How has the fact that you have these mentors in and amongst the body of your school community, how has that impacted their understanding of what their role is in your school? I know that the classmates go back and share what they learn with their peers. And they have seen them confidently propose new ideas. They feel like that's another person that they can go to and say, hey, I have an idea. 
what do you think? It might be scary to go to the principal or the head of school with a new idea, but to, to your teaching partner to say, hey, you know, your teaching partner's been through the class. You have an idea of something that might be interesting. That works, too. One thing we see in schools more often, I think, than we would like is that faculty members or staff members who are several degrees away from fundraising, from the fundraising operations, they don't understand necessarily the purpose of fundraising. What kinds of changes have you seen in your faculty members and your staff members who are several degrees away from fundraising? What kind of change have you seen in their understanding of the role of fundraising in a school? Well, we've certainly spent time and I spend time talking not just in that class, but to our faculty about the importance of fundraising and enrollment. Because what I tell them is that they are really the front line for fundraising. So when I ask a family for a donation, it's not that I do such a great job asking. It's because their children are so happy in the school, because their teachers love them, because their teachers are taking care of them, because their children are learning. And so I just flat out tell them they are the front line and what they do matters. And so I think they understand as they've seen this campus grow with buildings as they've seen our enrollment grow, I think they understand that that is so important. But we just talked to them about that. Yeah, I mean, I think they do understand the importance. You know, without enrollment, we can't pay salaries. We can't afford our faculty. Without fundraising, we don't have these beautiful buildings that we're building on campus. And so when it comes to fundraising, I personally make the ask because I actually enjoy fundraising and I enjoy painting the picture of where we've been, where we are, what the vision is, what the stories are of what's happening on campus. But I reach out to my faculty. I said, tell me stories that I can share so that I have stories that I can share. And they in turn will come to me and say, oh, we have this new family in our class and they're very interested in fine arts. You might want to reach out to them for the fine arts capital campaign. So I think they do see their partnership in that. I don't know that they always appreciate how hard and time-consuming development is. I don't think they realize how many years it takes to build relationships. I don't know that they always appreciate how many events there are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, you're right. It does just look like we're having parties and going out to eat all the time. And so <laughs> we just try to tell them and explain it to them. And, and you have to repeat that, especially when you have teachers who join us from public schools. They don't understand fundraising at all. Teachers from private schools do understand that. Uh, But we talk a lot about these are our customers and we need to give them first class service. And when we do, they'll be generous back, hopefully. How important do you think the role of the head of school or the president is in what you just described in helping the school understand? Because I 100 percent agree with you that everybody on campus has a role in fundraising. How important do you think the role is of the head of school in that process? Messaging starts at the top. It has to come from the head of school. You have to set the tone, have to do the messaging. Now, other people can help with the messaging, but it has to come from the top. Amen to that. You guys have been in a campaign for a little bit, which is true for so many schools. And if they're not currently in a campaign, they just finished one in the last two years or they're starting one in the next two years. That's pretty standard for schools these days, especially folks across your campus to understand and spread culture and to support culture. How have you felt that has had an impact on your fundraising results? Or or would you say that there's been a change? 
So the first capital campaign I fundraised for, the school was broken. We were trying to turn us turn ourselves around. And so we were a rundown campus that needed a permanent building to show that we were going to make it, that we were moving forward. And it was a very difficult campaign. But what I said to people is we will not break ground until we have gifts and pledges that equal the cost. We will not add debt. We'll use a construction loan against pledges. We'll pay it off. And we will not do another campaign until this is done, however it takes. So we got through that process. We didn't raise as much money as I hoped. So I said, we're going to scale down the project. We have enough money and pledges to build this building, and we're going to do it. The trust that I gained by doing exactly what I said, not putting debt on the property, not breaking ground until we had the funds that we needed, it was a painful campaign, but the next building we built, we raised the funds in 11 months. And so there is a confidence. I've consistently done that. So whether people have the funds to contribute to this campaign or not, there's been great trust in being very consistent in the messaging and not adding debt. We're almost debt-free as a school, just paying off that legacy debt that we inherited. But I think that's been important. So back to your question, what has culture been like? I think that's been really huge. I think people do see the great buildings. The, our, we have a beautiful campus. We've been very intentional in how we've built it. We've been very intentional in what we've built next. We've been very intentional in saying, that's a great idea, but this is not the time. This is the school's priority. We've been very intentional of limiting our fundraisers that we have so that we're all focused on whatever is the greatest need for the school at that time to try to keep the school unified. So this is Texas. So we have beautiful athletic facilities. We have beautiful classroom buildings. But right now we're in the middle of a campaign for a fine arts building. And we started that last year. We're halfway there. Fine arts can be a harder campaign, especially if your school is made up of people that are here because they love athletics. And so it's, it's a little bit of a harder campaign. So we've worked hard sharing the messaging to people of how fine arts will bless our athletes and our scholars and everyone else. And so, again, as I said, I love fundraising because I love telling the story of how this is going to enrich our school. But once again, people say, when are we going to break ground? When we have 10.8 million in pledges and gifts, we will break ground. And if I get there today, we'll break ground tomorrow. And if we get there in three years, we'll break ground then. I want to circle back to something you just said, which I think is really critical, is the trust aspect. From the start, you did what you said you were going to do. And when things, when you didn't raise as much as you had hoped, you didn't say, oh, well, we still need this, so we're going to take out the loan anyway. What advice would you give to a head who's coming into a situation where they need to rebuild trust in the institution and in the financing. You did that. You walked that role. So tell us what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's in that position today? I think the first thing I would do is is have a listening tour. I would sit down with every family that would meet with me and listen. What What's your dream for the school? What do you want for the school? What are the issues that you see in the school and also internally? And there's always low-hanging fruit. And start with what you can fix quickly so people see that you're listening, so people see that you're taking them seriously, so people will see that, you know, it might be as simple, I'm just making this up, but it might be as simple as maybe you have 
you know, 10 little fundraisers every year that wear people out. And maybe you just say, okay, stop, we're going to do an annual fund now. And that's the only one we're going to do. I mean, just listen and find some low hanging fruit that people can see that you are fixing and that you're listening. Mm-hmm. That would be where I would start financially. You know, it's you've got to kind of acknowledge where you are and what you're doing to fix it and let people know it, it takes time. It takes time. Mm-hmm. But I think that communication is important, but building those relationships with people. But they watch what we do and they see what we do. And it just takes time. I've read that it can take up to seven years for a community to trust a head of school. That makes sense to me. And when sometimes heads of school aren't there for seven years, no, that's average 10 years, much less, actually. Mm-hmm. Makes it more, makes it much more difficult. <laughs> right. I would think. Tell us a little about the folks who have gone through your program. You've talked about how some of them have been promoted. Tell us some success stories. Where, what are they doing now and how are they impacting Christian education? Director of enrollment, a director of curriculum and instruction, director of development, director of spiritual life in the lower school. Those are some key promotions I've been able to make out of this class. So those are some some pretty cool positions. My assistant head of middle school will be promoted this spring or next year as principal of middle school. So that's a big step. What I also have found exciting is I have at least three graduates that have gone back to get their master's degrees. So that's very cool. And I've seen some of them just go back and start new programs uh, within the school as well. So that's fun to see, too. So really, for not having done this very long, we've had a number of people that have said have, have stepped up in different ways. I'm always talking about, you know, kind of setting the bench. When I got here, the goal was to survive and then to thrive. But the reality of that is that a lot of my leaders are, are my age. Right. So we need to think about who's what I say, who's on the bench, who's the next generation that's going to set up and be ready. So we have a number of people in those leadership positions that I hope when the time comes, they will be able to step in and and lead the key positions in the school. And they'll be strong on the culture and they'll be able to take us forward. This episode is sponsored by my digital course, Onboarding New Parents with Purpose, a proven plan for increasing generosity, which I design especially for you with a suite of tools, templates, and resources that will help you be successful regardless of what month you start your journey with me. I crafted this course when leader after leader asked me, how do we move from transactional giving to heart-led, generous giving from every giver, regardless of the amount of their gift? How do we really cultivate a culture of generosity? This course will help you raise more money in your school using real-world methods designed to work in every school environment, every size school, because they're based on human behavior and community not fancy expensive events or tons of staff power. My course is full of practical strategies, effective actions you can take every month, every year to grow generosity and your new parents cohort after cohort, changing the culture of your entire parent community. Learn more and sign up for my digital course, Onboarding New Parents with Purpose, a proven plan for increasing generosity at kimtjennings.com slash culture of generosity. Let's drill down just for a moment into development. In what ways would you suggest 
that development staff can support you as the head of school in your role? What are some things that they can do for you, their head of school, in making sure to ensure your success and the success of the school? Right. The development team is is vitally helpful in that role. I've been here a long time and I've had the blessing of knowing pretty much everybody on campus. But when COVID hit, we had families who had to leave the country, families who moved, families who lost their jobs. We've had tremendous change in our families since COVID, but we've also had the largest growth we've ever had in the history of the school. So everyone was off campus for a quarter. We were open for all of 21, 22, but our parents weren't on campus and our students were hidden behind masks. And so I feel very much like I'm playing catch up to get to know families. So my development team is helping me immensely to make sure that I know our families. We are in a capital campaign, so I'm trying to meet one-on-one with every family in the school, but it helps me so much when they can say to me, this family is, they moved here from California. These are their two children. They're here for Christian values, but their daughter's a superstar volleyball player. They're especially excited about need-based financial aid or whatever. They've gotten involved in the auction and gala committee. It helps me to get that kind of information about families. That has been hugely helpful. We do a lot of events, and so they create those venues where I'm able to go, whether it's a business-to-business event or we had a huge party at my house last weekend. Their help to set up these events so as head of school, I can come in and totally focus on relationships and time with families helps me immensely. Our development team realized that they saw a need. They saw that our receptionist never gets to leave for lunch. So they stepped in and they rotate every day. One of them takes 30 minutes at the front desk. And the reason they do that is one, to be helpful. And two, because they get to know our families by being at the front desk. Things like that are so helpful. The team has made a point to, they wander around campus. They stop into classrooms. They're getting to know all of the students so that they too can say to mom, hey, I saw your daughter in class today. Here's what she was doing. So they're really integrating themselves into the culture of the school, which helps me immensely for them to know what's going on in the school and to help with that too. And and then of course, their ideas. What events do we need to stop doing? What events do we need to continue? How do we need to change these events? For example, my development director was in a parent-teacher fellowship meeting this week, and he was able to say, if you have not met with Julie to hear about the fine arts building, we need you to. We need your enthusiasm. People are always scared to meet with the head of school. I think they think I'm going to lock the doors and make them pull out their checkbooks on the spot. (laughs) I don't do that. And so for him to say, Julie is not going to corner you for a gift. She covets your enthusiasm, your excitement for the project, your prayers. Because I know that frequently the biggest gifts come maybe not from my ass, but from friends who encourage them to make a big gift. And so the more people that can be excited, no matter what level they can give, the better. So having the development team out there building excitement for whatever we're working on is fantastic. A finger on the pulse of the school. Yeah, absolutely. When you are reflecting on your time at the Woodlands Christian Academy, what would you do differently next time? What can other heads of school who are earlier in their careers potentially learn from you? Well, I always say I would have rather started a school from scratch than inherit a broken one and try to fix it. So (laughs) I would rather do that. That's a great question. You know, I don't think I knew what I was doing half the time. I still don't know what I'm doing most of the time. But 
I think that I, in reflecting, God has been amazing in bringing the right people at the right time. And so my goal has always been to be the stupidest person in the room and to surround myself with people who are really good at what they do. And looking back, God has just always brought the right people. And I've just always been blessed to be surrounded by people who love the school and bring the skills and the passion that we need for that season. I mean, the school's grown from 290 to almost 800. So it's a different school in many ways than when we were a little school. So our needs of people have changed over time. That's always hard to outgrow people sometimes along the way. And that happens. But I think that, you know, putting our trust in God, doing the right thing consistently, I I think he's really blessed us with that. And, And so get the right people around you. I think for a lot of heads that I talk to who step in new, The scariest thing is to make changes quickly, but I think you need to make quick changes. And I think that made a difference too. When you talk about building trust with families and you're new to a school, the reality is there are just some people that shouldn't be there or where the school needs to go. So come in quickly and make those changes and build trust and then bring people in that will take your school farther. Julie, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to make sure that folks hear about? So one thing I've enjoyed with my class is the opportunity to spend some one-on-one time with each of the members to provide sort of some mentorship about where they are, where they want to go, what their hopes are for their own careers. But beyond that, I have focused on mentoring others, maybe outside of my school and inside of my school. And one of the things that I've noticed is people are shy to ask for someone to mentor them. And there's lots of different ways we can mentor. I'm always super honored when somebody reaches out to me. And sometimes it's as simple as somebody will say, can I take you to lunch and just ask you questions? And of course I will do that. Sometimes they will say, can I follow you around for a day? Yes. Sometimes they will say, can you meet with me on a regular basis? And if it is, you know, if I can do that, I have some people that I have met with regularly, but I guess what I would like to say is I just would encourage people to ask. My son is 30 years old. He's an engineer. He's now an international sales manager. And one thing that I've noticed, and I think it's maybe being a male, women seem to be a little shyer to ask for mentors. My son is not one bit shy to ask for mentors. I think he must have seven or eight. He has called on so many people. When he was moving into a sales role, I was impressed that he called several of my friends who have been successful in their career, and he took them out to lunch. And some of them are mentoring him on a monthly basis. And he said, I need you to help me be better. And they asked it. He asked them and they say yes. And he's grown so quickly in his career because he's not been shy to ask for mentors. Mm. So I would encourage people that if whatever area you're in, if you're looking to grow, find out what areas you want to grow in and don't be shy to reach out and ask somebody to spend some time with you. Because I think most people will say yes. Do you think it's important that a person knows where they want to be in 10 years in order to seek a mentor? Absolutely not. None of us know where we're going or what's happening, but you can always learn from people's stories. And sometimes I think it's fun just to ask somebody, how did you get here? What do you do every day? What is your 
job? What does it take to be successful there? And then you can process that because I think there's lessons we can learn from everybody in any industry, in any area that will apply to what we're doing to making us better. So especially if you don't know what you want to do, it's a great opportunity to say, boy, there's somebody I admire. Let me just learn from them. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Julie, for sharing your wisdom and your time with our listeners. And I appreciate so much your sharing your story of the Woodlands Christian Academy and all the amazing things that are happening there. So I appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. As I said, very honored to be invited and thank you for the opportunity. Since my very first conversation with Julie back in the beginning of 2022, I have just wanted to keep the discussion going. Her intentionality and mentoring others in investing in leaders is something I just so admire. And she and I have talked before about the role of women as leaders and the need for growing up more women as heads of school. But that's another topic for another day. I want to drill down on one thing in particular from today's conversation with Julie. I want to talk about the way that she has codified and then intentionally trained her people in the culture of her school. This is the strategic organic approach that I talk about. This is that strategic organic approach at its finest. By leaning into influencers, remember she said that she looks to grow up influencers. She talked about the head of her food service division taking this class. She looks to grow up influencers and by doing so, she is able to establish and cultivate culture across her entire faculty and staff team. She has taught the influencers what they need to know about the way that the school is run and what makes the Woodlands Christian Academy special, what makes it tick, what's that DNA. Julie has created a method at her school for taking these influencers and developing these leaders and helping them to internalize the message. And this is exactly what we can do with parent influencers. I call them mentor parents. I firmly believe and I have experienced what can happen when we identify mentor parents, when we train them up, when we cultivate them and support them, lean into them as leaders very intentionally. And when we do this, we can strategically, organically grow culture throughout our entire school community. This replicates our efforts because our parent leaders have internalized our culture and then they are ambassadors for that culture. And this is the strategic organic method of cultivating a culture of generosity. There's very specific ways that you can do this, even in the midst of working with relationships and the messy, complicated ways that we have to interact with parent volunteers, and growing consensus and collaborating with influencers. But the concept is really important. This is how you can develop generous givers throughout your parent community. Identify influencers in your parent community. Now they must be givers. It can be at any level, but they must be givers. They should be good partners to your school and the administration in other ways as well. They should be already ambassadors. They should be already involved. Recruit these folks, train them, support them, and then you'll enjoy the huge benefit of people who embody your culture. They're ambassadors of your culture. And because they are peers, 
They are trusted as ambassadors of your culture. And this is how we grow giving. And I'm telling you, it totally works. I've written an ebook on mentor parents, which is absolutely free to you through the firm that I work with, Generis. And I'll include the link for that in my show notes. And in my digital course on my proven plan for increasing generosity in your school, I have an entire module devoted to mentor parents and an entire module on the model of a mentor parent, which is your parent leadership council. I'll include in my show notes also a link to my digital course so you can peruse the information that's included in that course as well. That's today's show. I'm so very glad you joined me and that you got to spend some time with Julie Ambler, head of school at the Woodlands Christian Academy and current chair of CESA. If this has been helpful for you, please do consider rating my podcast and leave a review, especially about what you find valuable and helpful about the podcast. My mission is to help create schools across the country that have incredible cultures of generosity, that have incredibly healthy internal cultures, healthy parent communities. All of that is for Christ and his kingdom to grow up young people who are disciples of Christ and can continue to influence our culture and be future leaders. So that's my mission. And I would love it if you could help me spread the word, change the world, one podcast episode, one school's amazing culture of generosity at a time. Thanks for rating and reviewing. Thanks for sharing the word about your K-12 Fundraising Coach podcast. And I can't wait for next week. I'll see you then. 